0: You know, Marcus, we got Matt on the line. What do you want to ask him?
1: For a new investor, would you recommend, you know, building relationships with a broker versus developing processes to go direct to seller? Uh, versus building credibility or or working to get on a team that might already have some of those relationships uh, initially.
2: If a new investor is looking to get into smaller deals, I would say put 100% of your effort into getting directly in front of sellers. If you're looking for deals, maybe two and a half million and up, most of those deals go through brokers and it's a completely different strategy. Get friendly with those brokers.
0: Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe with 4Oaks Capital. Super excited for today's show. We've got two amazing people on the line uh, with one of our Ask the Expert episodes. Uh, we've got experienced investor Matt Whittemore and aspiring investor Marcus Long on the line with us. And for everybody listening, I'm going to put the biographies of these two gentlemen in the show notes. Uh, so if you want to know more about them, you know, check out the show notes. And you know we'll, we'll have their their full length bios down there. So um, that said, Matt, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks so much, Brian. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks a lot, and I appreciate uh, your time today. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and give us your background and, and history, and kind of walk us up into you know what got you into apartment investing.
2: Absolutely, yeah. So I am uh, based in Albany, New York. I uh, have a firm based in Albany, New York called New Scotland Capital. And that is part of a a vertically integrated real estate business uh, called New Scotland Development Companies. So I focus on investment properties, but we have a brokerage, a property management company, and we also uh, do apartment developments. So involved in apartments in a a lot of different ways, Uh, love to invest in apartments. And I've been in real estate investments and commercial real estate finance for uh, about a decade now. So got my start Mm -hmm. doing uh, actually acquisitions uh, for a Boston-based company, small apartments up to kind of mid-market development, maybe 30, 40 units. Um, They also had property management and brokerage. Uh, And then I, I found myself looking to work on bigger deals and learn mm-hmm. that aspect of the business. So I worked for, uh, for a number of years, some of the larger uh, debt and equity shops uh, intermediaries. So placing loans on commercial investment properties, mm-hmm. uh, placing equity, then actually got into investing myself a couple of years ago and uh, partnered up with a uh, an even more experienced investor and experienced, uh, real estate professional here in Albany. And mm-hmm. we've been growing our portfolio and, uh, doing, doing some different creative things, uh, since.
0: Yeah. Nice. Well, sounds sounds like you've got, you've pretty much done the entire, you know, gamut of, you know, real estate or multifamily investing from, from every single angle. Um, so vertically integrated, I, I think that's, uh, that's great. You got so property management, you got development. You've got your own assets. Um, what else did you say you had in your brokerage as well? Right.
2: Exactly. Yep. It's really rooted around the three areas: brokerage, property management, uh, and then investments. And some of our investments happy happen to be uh, adaptive reuse apartment developments, historic tax credit type projects uh, that mm-hmm. can get pretty
0: complex. All right. Are you talking like the the Lydic type things, or you guys, or the other things out there that I, I've just not heard of yet?
2: So usually it's it's based on the historic status of the property. So it has to have some historic significance, but yes, yeah, similar, similar in terms of how you can get creative with uh, structuring the equity. You can bring in a tax credit investor to buy the tax credits to then you can use that as an equity source to, to recapitalize the deal or, or capitalize it initially.
0: Okay. And when you talk historic stuff, are you talking like the things that are like on the national historic list or whatever it's called? Or is, it, is that what you're looking at or something different?
2: Yes, there's the national list. Um, there's also historic districts that are more handled on the municipal level. That's mm-hmm. typically what we run into in Albany, and downtown Albany. Virtually the whole city is um, is a historic district. Uh, also Schenectady and and Troy have very very old properties in their downtown pre uh, mm-hmm. pre 1900 even really pre 1800 uh, some of these properties which is pretty incredible.
0: Now, now first time I've I've talked to somebody who's who's focused on that so I'm I'm very curious. Um, what what value do you guys get out of going into those historic districts?
2: Great question and it's um you know it's we're typically very high yield Investors. So if we buy an operating asset, we're usually looking for very high cap rates, but it, it allows you to be more competitive because you could take down a deal that, say, needs a million dollars
0: mm-hmm.
2: in equity. You could structure the deal in a way that, you know, there's state tax credits and federal tax credits that a bank or another type of investor might come in and and purchase those for, you know, 60 Mm -hmm. or 70 cents on the dollar. So you you calculate based on uh, the improvements in the project. there's, you know, qualifying uh, improvements. And Mm -hmm. through a calculation, you end up with, okay, what are the value of my tax credits, then the investor will pay 60 to 70% of that in cash. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a way to almost raise equity from a bank, which, you know, isn't it doesn't sound conventional, but with these historic deals and other tax credit deals, it's, it's really what you're doing.
0: Yeah. You know, and I, I like how, how you get creative with that. You're able to use some of the benefits that come off it to, you know, influence people to, to invest or invest more. And in. um, I, I know there, there's a lot of the higher net worth investors who are investing in, in real estate in general are doing so because it is tax friendly. And if you can give them tax credits in return, um, you know i can see how that's very valuable for a lot of people so um, absolutely can you, can you give us an idea of, of one of the deals you guys have done um kind of paint the picture on you know finding it and and what uh, what the process looks like
2: sure yeah i'll go with um one we just closed recently uh, it's a smaller deal but you know we're we're in a small market so we we we're happy to buy properties large and small, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if, if the numbers work. So we bought a 20 unit property. Mm-hmm. Um, we used, I, I think this is a great one for aspiring investors because it's a great way to get into properties for little money down. So we we raised the equity, which, you know, was uh, only ended up having to be 10% of the purchase price. We got a, a 75% LTV bank loan, mm-hmm. and then we got 15% subordinate seller financing. Okay. to bridge that gap. So very flexible financing uh and then m- we actually did the deal with none of our own money. Uh we raised that that money that 10% from uh, an investor relationship that we have. So mm-hmm. it was a great way to get into a million dollar deal, 20 units for for very yeah. little cash.
0: Yeah, nice, nice. So 75% loan from the bank, 15% seller back 10% equity, and you got yourself a million dollar property. So Right. Um, and it,
2: it really drives the returns to your your cash on cash return if you have you know that was about a 10% cap rate so with only 10% down we're talking yeah. about a 25% plus cash on cash yeah. return
0: yeah absolutely now um what 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 was the cost and something something we look at a lot is you know what is the cost of the money you're raising uh, what what term did you get on the seller carry back
2: uh, so that we actually told them that they needed to match the uh, the bank terms so we okay. got four uh, percent interest rate, a 25 year amortization, uh, no no prepayment penalty on that. So we'll probably look wow. to refinance that property in two to three years to to pay back, you know pay off that seller note, pay back our investors. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know return that capital and, and make them whole again.
0: Nice, nice. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty sweet deal you guys set up there. I mean, you basically are financing 90% of the purchase price at 4%. And if inflation in the next year is anything like it was in the last year, I think CPI, you know, the CPI released last week at like 5.4% year on year over year. You're, you're essentially getting paid to take other people's money is, is how that works. But yeah, uh, absolutely. Glorious, glorious thing when you can get it to work in your favor like that. So, um, and then as you mentioned, that just, you know, multiplies the returns to the investors and multiplies the returns um, that you guys are going to be getting because your cost of capital is so low for for 90% of the deal. So, well, great. One, one question i like to ask everybody who comes on the show, you know, what is your big burning why?
2: Great question, and you know, I am, uh, you know, I was an employee for eight years uh, coming out of college, and had different roles in the real estate industry, and I never found a great fit as an employee. Mm -hmm. You know, I I worked hard, I felt like I did a good job, but I just, I just didn't find that fit that made me feel like I wanted to be an employee at whatever company for a long period of time. So, you know, I I always liked about investing was, you know, having control of your own destiny and being in a situation where you're truly getting out exactly what you put in. Obviously yeah. there's lots of risk and things can go wrong, but if you're measured and calculated and you put in the efforts, you're going to get you know great great results out of it whether you're able to just pick off some long-term assets that in the first year that I was a full-time investor I didn't make much cash mm-hmm. but I acquired lots of you know properties so I increased my net worth probably by a quarter million dollars mm-hmm. in that first year and that's way more than I was able to accumulate with 401k's or IRAs in my almost 10 years of working as an employee. So that was really super eye-opening to me is, you know what, you know, I don't, I don't need a lot of things to live, you know, have the lifestyle I want. But if I keep at this for four more years, five more years, and am able to just repeat what I've done, I'll be on my way to building a nice portfolio and having the passive income that I want.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you can, if you can keep on adding a quarter million dollars to your net worth every single year, I mean, it's going to add up quickly. I think it's, it's really easy to see how that's, that's going to do a lot better than, you know, corporate America or government as, you know, the case of Marcus and I, but, you know, and something, you bring up something that's important and something that, uh, you know, I've realized a lot. I've spent 20 years in the Marine Corps and we have every, every year they release the pay schedule, you know, and so you know exactly what you're going to make, you know, exactly what everybody else is going to make. And I think one of the downsides of that is it doesn't matter how much you work or how little you work, you're still getting paid the same. So something you brought up that really resonates with me is, is the fact that, you know, in, in this multifamily space, you get what you earn, you know, and that's, you know, it could be a little, it could be a whole lot. You're not capped by, you know, whatever the, you know, government or the corporation thinks you should make. So definite plus to, to what we're doing. Of course, yeah, agreed so all right, so um looking uh, looking forward what's what's next for you and what, what are you guys uh, working on now?
2: Great question. I'm probably gonna throw you for a little bit of a loop here, but um, That's fine. on uh, on a few days from now Monday, I will be closing on a campground property that we are. Hmm purchasing a campground in an RV park. And okay, uh, we love apartments. You know, we have all the infrastructure, the management company, all the processes in place. We'll always buy apartments. And uh, that is one thing I love about real estate and, and you being in business for yourself in general is you get to steer the ship. You know, I'm the kind of guy that likes to try a lot of different things. So mm-hmm. I'll always invest in, in apartments because they're, in my opinion, the most plentiful commercial asset that's available. They're the most easy to understand and the easiest to finance, so yeah. it's uh, it's just a great business for all those reasons. But I like the idea of being diversified. So we're starting with campgrounds, but one day I'd like to own office buildings, shopping centers. Um, you know, a, a fully diversified portfolio.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you, you did did surprise me a little bit. Never expected campground, so. Um, just curious again, you know, why why campground? Where is the campground? And tell us a little bit about that one.
2: So that campground is in the uh the Catskill Mountains in upstate New York. We love it because it's about <laughs> two hours from Midtown Manhattan. So we see it as a nice weekend retreat for all those mm-hmm. millions of people that are in uh New York City. Uh it is a pretty rustic campground, but we're gonna mm-hmm. introduce a uh a tiny home rental component. So we're excited about that and I think the reason we really got into it was we started looking at mobile home parks and this was years ago and the cap rate compression was already well underway in the mobile home park space mm-hmm. and we came across some you know combo properties that were half mobile home park, half RV park. So we began to familiarize ourselves with the RV park model and then being in the northeast we got acquainted with the seasonal Mm -hmm. RV model, which is incredible. It's, you're basically removing collections from the equation because people pay before they show up, even if it's a full season rental, it's not a residential property. So you're, you're not having to deal with evictions, which was a breath of fresh air for me, especially, you know, in a city like Albany, where we own a lot of our properties, you can't get evictions done. People know that they don't have to pay rent at this point and it's not an overwhelming majority of our, pro- of our portfolio. It's a small portion of our portfolio, but it was a frustrating experience enough to, to kind of look outside the box and, and try and diversify a little bit. Yeah.
0: You know, I, I like the idea. And, and uh, my, my wife kids and I spent last five days in Southern Utah and there, there were a lot of RV parks as you drive by that are just, you know, chock full of RVs, you know, and if, if you're in the right spot where we were at your are within probably an hour's drive of three national parks, you know, so if, you, if you're in the right spot, you know, and the right season, you know, you're going to stay full the entire time and that close to to New York city. I mean um, I, I can imagine that, uh, you know, if you guys have at least a decent amount of marketing going on and improve the facilities a little bit, you're going to stay full yeah. probably year round.
2: Yeah. And the, really the other piece of it that was super uh, appealing was, so much less capital intensive, especially in the value add space where we're purchasing a property. It's, it's, I call it like a boutique campground. It's $850,000 that we're purchasing it for, and we're budgeting $150,000 to improve it. But that really goes a long way. And so, you know, we, there's a real opportunity for us to come in and double the revenue in short order without and having to inject that much capital into the property. Obviously, there's the risk of you know it's an operating business. It's not an apartment building where you have 12 month leases. So I think it's a nice it's a nice complement to to the apartment model where it's more hands off. You know, it's obviously lower cap rate, but it's lower risk. Um, so I think it's a nice a nice complement to nice. to put together in a portfolio.
0: All right, sounds amazing. So um, that said, we're going to transition right here. We'll we'll bring Marcus on the line. And that said, Marcus, welcome.
1: Hey, thanks, Brian. I uh, appreciate you uh, sharing your space with us today and uh, grateful for the opportunity to have this uh, conversation with you and Matt.
0: Yeah, not a problem. And thanks thanks for your time. You know, I'm looking at the clock. It's, it's 2 p.m. here. What time is it where you're at?
1: Yeah, we're about uh, 9 o'clock over here in the UK currently.
0: All right. So um, every once in a while, we get somebody dialing in from afar, and it seems like uh, every single time it's somebody in the military. So anyway, tell us a little bit about your background, and we'll go from there.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. You know, I grew up in uh, rural Missouri and I got a little taste of, I guess, an entrepreneurial spirit, um, you know, as a, as a young kid with a, a family business. Um, I, I joined the Navy in summer of 2001, I think probably similar time that, that you joined the military yourself, Brian. Uh, yep. So I just rolled over my, my 20 years uh, this summer. So yeah, like I said, I, uh, 2001 joined the Navy and, you know, it was probably three or four years later when I bought my first real estate. So I've had, I've had some real estate for, the better part of seventeen years, uh, I'd say for a good fifteen years of that or so, it was mostly in the single family space mm-hmm. and mostly opportunistic, right? You know, I kind of I picked up a few throughout my career, uh, not very intentional and stuff about it. And it was just a few few years ago, and shortly before I came to the UK, and I was kind of looking at the the transition uh, that was coming up. I didn't really have an intention of staying too far past uh, twenty years and it started to get more real. And that's kind of when I started to get a little bit more intentional uh, about the real estate to kind of have a plan, a transition plan. And so about the time I, I've been in the UK for about, about two years now, and I joined a mastermind around that time and kind of started getting exposed to some different strategies and uh, including multifamily. Uh, in about 12 month period, I invested in, in three syndications as a limited partner Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to deciding to transitioning over uh, to be on uh, the general partner side, and so that's kind of where I am now.
0: Yeah, I mean it's, it's something that, uh, and you're right, that is right about the time that I, I joined. May May seventh, two thousand and one, was my my first day um, in uniform. So you know, I probably probably beat you out by a month or two. But that's right. it was um,
1: June fourteenth, so you had about five. June
0: fourteenth. Five weeks yeah. on you, yeah. And, there you go. If it, it wasn't, go.
1: if it wasn't for trying to finish up time in the UK, I would have, uh, I would have probably been racing you to retirement. But I'm gonna, i to finish my time here and then transition <laughs> next year. So,
0: you know, you're, you're in a good spot. You know, and we, we've had a couple of really good overseas tours. You know, I've, I've spent a year in Rio and you know three years in Okinawa. Both of those places were, were really nice places to. Um, I'd say Okinawa was a great place to live. Um, Rio, I would still, I still love Rio. I think it's a better place to visit. But that said, I mean, same thing. I mean, we we got into the multifamily space when I started seeing that light at the end of the tunnel. And I've said this many times on the podcast before, but you have that 20-year mark. It's like a light switch where you can retire as soon as you hit the 20-year mark, but prior to the 20-year mark, you know, zero retirement benefits. So you know, once I started seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, it sounds like you yeah, have the same same story. Seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, you're like, Oh my gosh, that light's coming really, really quick. What now? So the multifamily space is, is a great place, great place to be. So I'm um, excited for you. Really excited for you.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. So let's talk, uh, talk about your big burning. Why now? Well, you know, what's, what's your big motivation for, for doing this?
1: Yeah, there's, you know, there's a few different levels to this, this question, Brian, and it, part of it starts out with um, probably about four years ago when, when we were in Colorado, Um, And I was in one of those pretty high op tempo military um, billets and uh, working long hours. And I came home from work one day and my daughter, who was uh, three years old at the time, I came home early, probably about three o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And she's like, daddy, what are you doing home? And I said, I just thought I'd come home and spend some time with you guys. And she said, but it's not dark yet. (laughs) And, um, you know, it it hit me. It, It crushed me that day.
0: Yeah, it
1: was like. I didn't know how to respond to her. And, you know, I, I thought a lot about it. And I was like, before that, it was kind of this, you know, I'll see what happens at 20 years. Maybe I'll, I'll stay in, maybe I won't. And, and that day there was no question um, what my intentions were. Yeah. You know, like I knew by going forward that I had to create a lifestyle that I was going to be present and available uh, for them when I wanted to be.
0: Yeah. And so that's kind
1: of, um, you know, like I said, I already had some real estate and stuff before that. And that's when I realized like, Hey, I'm going to, become more intentional about this. And I'm going to uh, develop a plan, um, to, to be ready financially to, to transition and do what I need to do for my family yeah. at that point in time. And so that's, that's really when I, I started and a family was the core uh, and the kids were behind that. As I got uh, into developing my plan and particularly with uh multifamily, um, I'm very big. I've always loved to give back. I am very passionate about having a, a positive impact and, I see so many ways in the multifamily space, so many vectors that we can do that from the ability to have an impact on our the residents, the communities that you invest in, the flexibility that we give our own families. Um, and then, you know, if we can use our profits to to support um other other nonprofits or charities and things like that. So um all of that ability and you know, as you've probably seen, my my kind of company name and platform is about leaving a, a legacy.
0: Yeah, long legacy.
1: A long legacy, that's right. And so, you know you know, and that's for me all about the kids and this real estate space and that ability to have that impact in so many, so many different ways is, uh, I think, uh, an awesome tangible way for me. I, I enjoy doing it mm-hmm. and to show my children, um, the ways that I can have an impact and stuff. And to, to me, that's, that's a, a tangible way for me to leave a legacy.
0: Yeah. You know, one, one tangible thing that I'm just realizing and realizing as an accomplishing, not realizing as in light goes on, I guess there's two different ways. You could use that word, but, uh, is is the location freedom. I mean, three years ago, you know, before I really threw my hat in full time into the multifamily, my wife's like, hey, when we retire, I wanna live in Idaho Falls next to where my sisters live, you know? And Idaho Falls is a small city, you know, 60, 60 something thousand, you know, the Metro area is about 100,000 people. And what went through my mind is where am I gonna get a job in Idaho Falls? Well, because of multifamily, guess where I'm living right now? You know, we are a couple of blocks away from both of her sisters. So um, we were able to, to live where we want to live, which is best for the family. So, you know, very, very much same, same lines with you. And obviously, you know, since we're same, roughly the same career and um, same path, I think a lot of, a lot of what we feel and look for are exactly the same. So
1: I, I can really appreciate, you know, that geographic uh, freedom. Like, and that's one of the great things, like I'm, I'm learning to do the, you know, some of this stuff, it's always been long distance throughout my entire career, even with the single family stuff. But, yep. you know, right now learning to do some of this multifamily stuff from four or 5,000 miles away from some of the, yeah. the markets and stuff. And so if I can do that, I can do it anywhere in the U.S. And, you know, I can go on vacations or work from anywhere in the world that I want to.
0: Um, yeah. So it's, yeah. it's a pretty
1: good way to, to learn.
0: Absolutely. All you need is an internet connection and a laptop and, and you can do this from just about anywhere. So, well, great. So here comes my favorite part of the show and it's it's where I hand you the microphone. So, you know, Marcus, we got Matt on the line. What do you want to ask him?
1: Yeah, thanks, Brian. And, uh, you know, it's great uh, listening to, to some of your background there, uh, Matt and stuff. I, I really want to kind of ask uh, one with like the, the current market's pretty competitive, you know, throughout the entire country and stuff. So for, for a new investor from your experience, both as an investor and, you know, with brokerage and, and stuff like, would you recommend, you know, or what balance, I guess, would you recommend a new investor focus on, you know, building relationships with a broker that, you know, that takes time to develop those relationships versus, you know, uh, developing processes to go direct to seller, uh, versus, you know, building, uh, credibility or or working to get on a team that might already have some of those relationships uh, initially. So like, you know, is there, is there one way you would uh, recommend a a new investor go or a balance between them?
2: Sure. It is a great question. And it's, it's uh, something I sort of battle with daily. Um, And it's because we play in multiple spaces. Uh, I would say if someone's a new investor is looking to get into smaller deals, and by smaller, I'd say two million and under, or maybe a million and under. Um, I would say put a hundred percent of your effort into getting directly in front of sellers. And I would say, if you're looking for deals, maybe two two million and up, two and a half million and up. Most of those deals go through brokers. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of LLCs and entities that. If you try and go direct, you're going to have a lot of unknown parties. So it, mm-hmm. it you know, it's, it's the uh, a constant conundrum for us because we buy small properties and large properties, and it's a completely different strategy. Um, I would guess you're probably looking to get into more of the larger properties. So I would take the opposite approach and and get friendly with those brokers, uh, figure out a package to put together that you know you obviously have. Twenty years of experience, almost in real estate, which is highly significant. And so, you could put together a little resume, and uh, you know the the one thing that comes up. And we try to do a lot of deals, so people will ask for proof of funds. You know, I'm, I'm a younger guy in terms of being a full time real estate investor, so liquidity is a challenge. So, you know, that's why we raise money, and that's something that I think I'll until I win the lottery one day. You know, there's always be a challenge of showing that you know, 10% liquidity or hundred percent net worth that you have to show the lenders to get the deals done. So, you know, and it's, I don't want to be a hypocrite cause I'm a, I'm a licensed real estate agent myself and we have the broker, uh, the brokerage, but I get so frustrated working with brokers. My, it, my preference would be to just work with sellers directly. You know, I, I don't, I don't, perform well in bidding wars. I just don't like to do that. I like to control the deal, set the time frame, set the expectations myself. It drives me crazy when you're trying to do a deal through two sets of brokers, two attorneys. It's just like a daisy chain of a game of telephone. You know, your message never gets there directly, it seems like sometimes.
0: Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I mean, I think it's even more so we just sold our single family home and, you know, agent to agent to owner to agent to agent to, uh, to buyer. But uh, um, as far as the, the question, uh, Marcus, I, I would say, you know, where, where do you want to get, you know, in five, five to 10 years? And, you know, whether you latch on to somebody else or, or try to bootstrap it you know, really kind of depends on where you want to be in that five to 10 years. You know, we chose to bootstrap it. At some point, you're going to have to have somebody experienced on your team. But we wanted to, I mean, we, we had envisioned for Oaks being kind of what it looks like now three years ago. And, you know, the, the way for us to get there was not to latch on to somebody else, but to make the relationships ourselves. So um, I would really depend say it depends on, you know, where you're trying to get where you're at now, what your, what your resources are. Um, you know, and that's um, that's definitely part of part of how it worked out for us. Now, of course us bootstrapping, it meant it was a little, it was difficult for us to jump in at the 200 unit level mark from the beginning. And so we didn't, you know, we, we jumped in, our first property was a 50 unit, so a little more bite size and we've slowly worked our way up to where we're in the you know 10 million plus um, arena right now. So uh, both ways will work. Just where do you want to be in five years and which one gets you there faster?
1: Yeah, that's really helpful. I appreciate that. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, not not necessarily specific to my question, but going back to something that, that Matt said about the liquidity um, and net worth and, and stuff, um, I think that's a, a great comment. And I think it's a limiting belief and stuff for a lot of, of new investors and stuff. But I think that it's a great point to highlight as I begin to network in the multifamily space and stuff right is that that um, those things can be overcome you know there is someone else in the space that you can bring on uh, to to do that to be that net worth to be that liquidity and do you have to give something up for it yes you do uh, you know but i think just as it's good to highlight that point of a lot of these limiting beliefs of you know you don't have to do it all yourself you figure out who you can bring in to uh to do those things so. absolutely yeah. You know, another uh, question I was going to kind of ask, you know, I'm um, speaking over here on that kind of on the broker uh, aspect of it. So from UK, you know, a distance and stuff. Right. And so, you know, everyone always talks about taking someone to have a, have a coffee and things like that and building those relationships. And um, that's very challenging for me to do from, from this far apart. And so while you may be investing, you know, Matt, in the, in the market that you live in and stuff, maybe COVID you know, where we've gone virtual and stuff has, has given some experience to this, but what are some ways maybe that if taking a broker or other team member out to, to coffee and things like that, to start to build those relationships and things, uh, if that's not quite an option, like virtually and stuff, what are some, some ways that you see investors or that you have stood out to brokers or, you know, maybe other investors stood out to, to brokers that, you know,
2: awesome question. And, um, you know, it's, a. Uh it's an area that we discuss a lot my partner and I uh, because I am sort of a, a black and white analytical person we do a lot of direct mail marketing so when I I think about marketing and reaching out to sellers and reaching out to brokers I like the mass approach but I think you have to kind of go the opposite direction with it so you know for somebody like you I might say you know identify your top 10 brokers and send them a box of cookies with a nice note on it or something like that. Send something to the office, a snack or whatever. Uh, I've seen that when I was on the brokerage side. It goes a long way and it's, you know, it's not the 80 cent mailer that you're worried about conversion rates. It might be a $50 expenditure for one lead, but it'll, it'll make an impact I think you just got to focus on going against the grain, so to speak, setting yourself apart, which not to be a you know, negative or pessimist, but I don't, I don't think it's too hard to do that because there's going to be people calling them all day that just want the info on the deal, want to see what's in it for them. So, you know, I think taking an approach like that, where it's more of a personal touch than a mass outreach and, and a numbers game, you know, make it make it a personal connection.
0: Something I did up front, and I was in the DC area when I started trying to invest in South Carolina, it's drivable. It's a, it's a lot better position than you're in right now, you know, across an ocean. But I would send Starbucks gift cards, you know, a $10 Starbucks gift card. I would say something like, you know, hey, you know, I'm I'm a little bit far away from you guys. I'd love to take you out to, for, for a coffee, but since I'm not in the local area, here it is. And I got almost a hundred percent response rate when sending a Starbucks gift card, they're going to get on the phone, they're going to send you an email, they're going to say, thank you, I appreciate it. And it, it just it was just a little thing it cost me $10 each time I did it. And usually I send it you know, via email. So you know, it, it's just one of those things that process ended up leading me to the broker that brought us our first deal, you know, so what was it 100% because of the Starbucks gift card? No, probably not. But it definitely started conversations where, you know, an email or a, a voicemail wouldn't have, you know, 10 bucks, Starbucks gift card. Hey, I'd love to take you to coffee, but I can't right now. So, you know, take yourself. Boom.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's really solid.
0: Um, yeah, I like that. Because
1: you know, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't cost you any more than if you were there. And while you don't have the necessarily the face-to-face conversation for them they uh they they may actually appreciate it just as much or more than than the coffee out because they just bought their hour back or something like that so yeah that's uh yeah that's good and
0: they're they're gonna get coffee anyway and next time they go through starbucks they're gonna you know use that uh that you know gift card code that they have and they're gonna be thinking of you so boom awesome anyway that's good
1: yeah, uh, you know, we I asked a couple of questions, kind of about the like broker and stuff like that, and we we do spend a lot of time, especially like as new, you know, investors talking about you know the broker and raising capital and finding the deal and and things like that. I'm kind of curious from your all's perspective, like you know, is, is that where your biggest challenges have come, or is it has it been post closing, you know, in asset management and stuff? We don't we don't talk near as much about. Um, after we close the deal, like what, what happens then? So, uh, and I mean, there's challenges in all phases of that, but um, have you, have you found your bigger challenges to be pre-closing or after?
2: You know, I'd say that there are, there's certainly challenges because we, especially if you're raising money for any types of deals, you sell the projections, you sell how smart you are and how well you know the market and how well you can execute the deal and then you actually have to do it. And you know, I think it's a funny thing in our industry where uh, you might get paid an acquisition fee and I think there's probably a lot of people out there that they cash their acquisition fee and that's what they did the deal for and 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 they're on to the next thing, but the biggest thing for us is repeat investors. So you're not going to get that investor to invest again if you're missing your projections every single time. So mm-hmm. I am very lucky that uh, in order to advance my career, I partnered up with uh, somebody who had a property management company. and so he wears that asset management hat. My My role is to find the deals, but um, we always work with very conservative projections because nothing goes according to plan. So you know it's funny like uh, you, you put together a pro forma, and really the only thing that you know, is that it's not going to be right. <laughs> Whether it's low or it's high, your, your pro form yeah. is wrong. No matter which way you cut it, you're not going to hit everything
0: that. on there. It's going to be wrong. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so. Which like, it's like, Oh my God, why am I doing this? But yep your, your job is to make sure you're on the low side, not the high side. So I would say, you know, it's, it's intertwined. It's hand in hand. It's, it's having an asset management mindset while you're making those projections, maybe, you know, eking that vacancy rate up a little bit. Everybody uses 5%, but again, we know it's not 5%. So, you know, it's, it's, it's having the the end in mind, which is a little bit of a cliche, but if you're not exiting the deal the way you're telling everyone or yourself or your investors, it's not going to end up the way you want it to. So, you gotta you gotta plan with that exit in mind.
0: Yeah, I mean, as, as far as challenges go, I think closing is is like a sprint. You know, you know, the actual operations is more of a marathon. You know, so. They're both challenging, but one of them, you know, you've got, you know, we, we, we should be closing on a property today. I'm waiting for a text at any time from my uh, partner, but I mean, you got about two to three months to close. And so there, there's definitely challenges you're under the gun and it may be a little more stress that you're feeling because of the timeline, but really, I mean, what, what Matt said is absolutely true. You know, if, if you just want to do one, one syndication, You know, you really got to focus on the operations. You really got to nail that part. Um, Otherwise, you know, people aren't going to invest with you again. And that's that's really what you're trying to do is make a a business out of this that can create that long legacy that you're looking for. And it's not the one and done. You know, so focus on the marathon. You got to be able to sprint, but you got to focus on that marathon.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. And and, you know, the reason reason I bring that up is because I even on you know whether it's single family or multifamily and stuff, I think you know it's easy. I shouldn't say easy, but like it, we we run the numbers and we run the numbers and run the numbers, but that, that's all based on these like projections and stuff. And then, as Matt said, you know, we actually have to execute and make make those come true. And in multifamily, there's a lot more uh, variables uh, to do that, and and so there's a lot of preparation on the on the front end. Uh, but I think it's important to 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 kind of highlight that and pull that out, you know, in the operations uh, component of it, because I don't I don't know if that's discussed as as frequently and, and thought of um, new investors that are just thinking about like finding their market, finding a team and, and running some numbers.
0: You know, I, I think a lot of people get to the closing table, you know, and that they're so hyper-focused on first deal and closing. The deal closes and they're just sitting there and they're like, great, what now? You know, and that's that's probably something you wanna to try to avoid, but you anyway, know, we're, we're about out of time. I'd love to, you know, stick around and chat a lot longer, but uh, I think we we probably all have uh, you know, things to do on the back end. But one question for each of you, and Matt, you go first. How can investors learn more about you?
2: Perfect. Yeah, you can visit newscotlandcapital.com. Love to chat, talk shop with with anybody, love to share my, share my experience and uh, I think you can learn from everybody and I'd love to learn from some of the listeners. So you can email me at Matt at new dot as well.
0: All right. And we'll have links to both of those in the show notes. Marcus, same question for you.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. yeah they can visit uh, alonglegacy.com dot and everything's on there from, you know, they can message me, they can set up a call with me, all my social media. So it's kind of a, a one-stop shop love for them to stop by whether they're you know interested in talking multifamily or, Uh, Kind of on the legacy note, you know, I do share uh, some stuff about like teaching my children, uh, seven-year-old and four-year-old and stuff like that, some financial uh, lessons and things. So I do try to to share some other uh, content, generally trying to pass on that financial education as part of my legacy.
0: Yeah, it's nice to see the light go on with kids. Um, Quick, quick moment, you know, two years ago when I started spending a lot of time pushing towards multifamily, I explained to my son, who was probably six at the time, may have been five. You know, I explained the concept of we buy apartments, people pay us to live there, and his eyes got really big. He's like, oh, "Dad, you need to buy as many of those apartments as you can." You know, and uh, anyway, te- teaching kids how to how to do what you're doing is 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 fun. You know, it's fun to see that light go on. But anyway, thanks to both of you for coming on the show today. You know, thanks, Matt, for all the lessons learned, and, and Marcus, good seeing you again. And you know, I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll talk again very shortly. So, um, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show. So pull out your phone, tap subscribe and leave us a five star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.